Morning, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate you joining us this morning, whether you're doing that at one of our campuses or just streaming online. I'm glad you're here wherever here happens to be for you today. And as you can see, we are in week four of Better Together, this church-wide series and study in which we as a church have been exploring what it really means to live in authentic community, to actually live out our faith in and through our connections with each other. And of course, here at Cedar Creek, the primary place where we make those connections are in our home group. And as I shared with you last week, when we talk about living out our faith, what we're talking about is living out God's purposes for our lives. Together, doing the things that God created us to do, and together being who God created us to be. And so we've been looking at these purposes sort of one right after the other. Last week we looked at the purpose of reaching. That God created us to reach out to others with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we discovered that we do that better when we do it together. Although we are all called individually to live out that purpose, we do it better together. We saw a great example of that from the Gospels of the four friends who were able to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus for forgiveness and healing, a task that none of them could do on their own, but together they were able to reach out. Now today we want to look at a second purpose that we're created for, and that is growth. We were created For spiritual growth. Did you know that? That one of your purposes here on this earth is to develop spiritual maturity. So what is that? What is spiritual growth? What does it look like when someone is spiritually mature? Some of us may say, well, they have a lot of Bible knowledge, right? They they know where all the books are. They can look them up quickly. They've memorized a lot of verses. They know all the answers to all the Sunday school questions. That's spiritual growth. Well, some of you would say, well, wait a minute. That's not necessarily spiritual growth because it's not about what you know. It's about what you do. Spiritual growth is about helping others. Right, Sort of the Mother Teresa model of spiritual growth, doing things to help other people. And some of you would say, no, it's not about your Bible knowledge. It's not even about helping others. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is about using the spiritual gifts that God has given you. A person who's spiritually strong has a lot of gifts from God, and they use those gifts. You can see God's power and God's presence in their life. Spiritually mature people, when they pray, things happen. They have a direct line with God. Well, here's the thing. While all of those things are a part of spiritual maturity, none of them in and of themselves fully define what spiritual maturity is. So what is it? What is spiritual maturity? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible gives us a clear answer in Romans 8, 29. Notice what it says. It said, for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like who? What does it say? Like his son. Spiritual growth is becoming more like Jesus. Spiritual maturity 
is developing the character, the attitudes, and the behaviors of Jesus in your life. It's what theologians call sanctification. And that just simply means this lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. And guess what? That is something you cannot do alone. It is impossible to become more like Jesus all by yourself. Why? Because Jesus is all about love. And love requires other people. It requires other people to express that love too. And it requires other people to help you learn how to love better. See, not only can we grow better together, but we need each other to grow at all. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Four ways that we help each other grow spiritually. Four ways that being connected and involved in a home group will help develop spiritual maturity in you. So let's jump in. Number one, the first way we help each other grow is by being examples. By being examples to one another. Because in my experience, what I have seen is that spiritual growth is more caught than taught. What do I mean by that? I mean that becoming more like Jesus is not just reading about how Jesus lived on this earth during his time. It's about learning how to live more like Jesus in our time, in our world, and in our lives. And we need examples to help us do that. Really, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who read instruction manuals. And there are those who just look at the picture on the box when it put, putting things together, right? How many of you like to read the instruction manual? Come on, where are my engineers, my nerds, my pocket protector people? Yes, we got many of those. How many of you just look at the picture on the box? Yeah, my people, right? But for some reason, I always seem to end up with more pieces left over than I should. But, but here's my point. While we may have different personality types... And we may have different learning styles. We all need visual examples to learn, right? Because even the instruction manual has pictures in it, right? It's not just words. they are diagrams. We, we all need visual examples. Why? Because visual examples give us deeper understanding. Well, the same thing's true with our spiritual growth. We need models to help us mature. In fact, look at what Paul writes in Philippians 3.17. He's writing to a church that he helped start. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul understood the power of a pattern. That's why whenever Paul would go into a town to start a church, he didn't just show up and put up signs saying revival coming and then put up a tent, preach a powerful emotional message, call people to come forward, get saved, baptize them, and then go, my work here is done. There are Christians in this town. You know, Apostle Paul out, move on to the next one. No, that's not what he did. He lived in those towns and villages among the people. 
sometimes for months, sometimes even for years, so that they could see what it looks like to live out your faith in real life. And then he would not leave until there were others who had grown enough to be examples to the people who were there. Why? Because examples are always better than explanations. We need people who can show us what it looks like to put these principles into practice. People to show us how to turn our beliefs into behaviors. To flesh out our faith in real life 21st century circumstances. And it's so true today. Our need for models is maybe greater now than it ever has been. This culture that we live in, church, we are desperate for godly role models. We, we are desperate for people who can show us what it means to really love your spouse through thick and thin, through the good and the bad, to hang in there. We need examples of how to raise godly children in an ungodly world. We need examples of someone that can show us what it looks like to run a business from a kingdom perspective, not just a bottom line. We need examples. And the great thing about home group is it gives you an opportunity to connect and do life with people who can be an example to you. Because understand this, no one person can be an example of spiritual maturity to you all the time in every area of life, through every season of life. But together, there's maybe somebody that's strong in this area or somebody that's strong in this area. And all together, we can be examples for one another. You know, and I think about that, it just shows me the brilliance of God's design for the church. That God did not design the church to just be a large gathering of like-minded believers. He designed the church to be a family where people could do life together up close and personal and be examples and models for one another. So let me ask you, whose life are you watching? Who's being an example for you? And then my other question is, who's watching your life? Who are you being an example for? Because if we're going to grow spiritually, it's going to begin with being examples for each other. But it doesn't stop there. The second thing we have to do, the second way we help each other grow is through interactive learning. Through interactive learning. See, it's not just what we see in each other's lives. It's what we share with each other from God's Word. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writes this. But understand this. He's writing to the exact same people that we just looked at in Philippians chapter 3. The very people that Paul in chapter 3 says, follow my example, look for examples, then turns the page and in Philippians 4, 9, look at what he says. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and everything you saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Circle the word heard and circle the word saw. In other words, Paul is saying it's not just what you saw me live out in my life, but it's what you heard me teaching. It's what you learned from my teaching of God's Word. That's another great thing about being in a home group. 
It's an opportunity for us to teach and learn from each other. That's why home group Bible studies are always interactive and participative. Told you a couple of weeks ago, home group Bible study is not some Bible brainiac standing up in front of the group with a whiteboard impressing everybody with their biblical knowledge. It's about engaging God's word together because we all have different perspectives. We all have different experiences. And we can teach each other and learn from each other in God's word. Because let me tell you this, if you hadn't figured this out, life is too short for you to learn everything you need to learn through your own personal experience. That's why when our kids were younger, I used to tell them, look, you can learn from every experience in life. In fact, you can probably learn more from your mistakes and failures than your successes. You can learn through your mistakes and failures, but I also made sure I told them, you don't have to be the one making the mistakes all the time. You can learn from the mistakes of others. You don't have to go through it yourself to get the wisdom out of it. And the same thing is true about our engagement and learning from each other in God's Word. We can teach each other, but we need to teach each other God's wisdom, not our own wisdom. Look at Colossians 3.16. It says, let the message all about you fill you. It's not what it says, is it? It says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. See, when we teach and learn from one another, it's not just passing on facts about Jesus. It's about advising and counseling each other with God's word as the source of wisdom, not our own. We need that. That's why Solomon, who, by the way, wisest man who ever lived, said plans fail for lack of advice, for lack of counseling. But many advisors, many counselors bring success. Counselors in God's Word. Two things are required for us to learn from each other. One, we got to know God's Word. And two, we got to be willing to open up and share it with each other. So let me just ask you this. How much time are you investing in God's Word? I mean, beyond just sitting in here, beyond just home group, how much time are you individually digging into God's Word to understand these principles for yourself? And then secondly, how open are you to sharing what God is teaching you with the people God's brought into your life? Are you sitting on that wisdom, just sitting in group, you know, like a knot on a log in the corner and just holding it to yourself and unwilling to share what God is teaching you? We help each other grow by learning from each other. And then number three, by providing encouragement. We help each other grow by encouraging one another. Study after study have shown a direct correlation between encouragement and success. People perform better when they are encouraged. That's why people are more successful at losing weight and getting into shape. When they have a a training buddy, a partner, or even a professional training. It's not just because they give you better information. It's because they show up and get you to keep doing it even when you feel like quitting. That's why children perform better in school when there is a caring adult who encourages them with their schoolwork at home. 
That's why sports teams win more games at home than they do on the road. Because they have the encouragement of their fans. Encouragement is an incredibly powerful tool. Not just for success in life, but for our spiritual growth. In fact, look at what else Paul writes. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Paul doesn't say encourage yourself. And so you guys get out there and build yourselves up. He says, do it for each other. Why? Because you cannot encourage yourself, at least not long term. I mean, you can pat yourself on the back and you can do daily affirmations looking in the mirror and telling yourself that you're okay. You can do that for a while, but over the long haul, isolation always leads to discouragement. And healthy connections with others always leads to in. Encouragement. You know, it's really interesting, the context of 1 Thessalonians 5. This verse we just read. Because if you back up a chapter to chapter 4, you see Paul is talking to this church about growing spiritually. He's talking through all of chapter 4 about exactly what we're talking about. How to live out your faith. And then in chapter 5, he does like a 180, like a whiplash. All of a sudden, he starts talking about eternity. He starts talking about the resurrection and our our hope in eternity, our hope in Jesus' return. And then when he gets to the end of chapter 5, he says, encourage one another. What's Paul saying? He's saying encouragement is about helping each other keep our eyes on the future, help each other keep looking up. Encouragement is not getting together as a home group, sitting in a circle and saying, I'm okay, you're okay. Encouragement is helping each other look up when we're not okay. And our lives and our circumstances are not okay. Look, the best way we help each other grow spiritually is not to keep hammering each other over the head about our mistakes and failures. It's about helping us get our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances and focus on Jesus. That's what we need each other to encourage us to do. How do you do this? I think probably the best example of encouragement anywhere takes place in an encounter that Jesus has with a crippled woman in Luke chapter 13. I hope you'll spend some time this week reading this encounter from Luke's gospel. Basically, it's the Sabbath. Jesus is in a synagogue preaching a Sabbath message to a packed-out crowd. In the middle of his sermon, he just stops preaching, and he calls a woman who's sitting in the back of the crowd to come forward. And she's bent over double, the Bible says. She's crippled by some sort of disease. I don't know, osteoporosis or something. But this lady has spent a long period of time unable to look up. Imagine that life. She spent most of her life having to look down all the time. Jesus calls her down to the front. When she gets there, he places his hands on her, and he heals her, and she stands up straight. It's an amazing story. But the religious Pharisees in the synagogue that day lose their mind. They're like, this is the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, since you're a healer, healing this woman on the Sabbath means you're breaking the rules of the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Really? You guys will make an exception to your Sabbath rules to untie your own donkey or to get your ox out of the ditch, but you won't make an exception for this 
daughter of Abraham to be freed from the bondage that has tied her for years. It's an amazing story. But if you walk through it, you'll see there's four things Jesus did to encourage her that we can do to encourage each other. You might want to write these down. One of the ways we encourage each other is just by noticing each other. Just notice, right? Jesus noticed this woman, which was not easy to do, right? In that culture, women didn't get the front good seats. They had to sit in the back or the corner. She wasn't easy for Jesus to see. And she's been over double, right? It's not like she's back there going, help me. She was easy to miss. Many of the people in your life that most desperately need encouragement are easy to overlook. Slow down and notice who needs encouragement. And then number two, value. Value them. That's what Jesus does, right? Think about this. He's preaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. That's a pretty important task. He's preaching a message, but no matter how important that was, when he saw her, he stopped what he was doing and made her needs more important than his sermon. Can you imagine the value that gave her, that Jesus would stop this important task to focus on her. Third thing Jesus did to encourage her that we can do is he touched her. Touched her. He put his hands on her. He didn't have to do that to heal her. Jesus healed plenty of people with just his words. He could have healed her from the back of the room and just said, woman, you are healed. But he put his hands on her. Why? I'll tell you what I believe. Because I believe it had been a long time since this woman had been touched by somebody who cared about her. Because in that culture, sickness and disease was always thought to be the result of sin. And she would have been seen as being unclean. And you don't touch unclean people. But Jesus did. And let me tell you, there are people around you who feel unclean today and need a touch from Jesus. And Jesus wants to use your hand to do it. That's why in all of our campuses, we take time at every service for us to greet and welcome and with a, a handshake, a hug. That's why we do that holy commotion, so that we can get our hands lovingly and appropriately on each other. Why? Because many of us come in here on Sunday, and all that we've experienced that week is being poked and prodded by the people around us, and we are desperate to feel a loving touch. That encourages people. When you put your hands on them. And then fourth thing you got to do is use your words. You encourage through your words. When the religious leaders started complaining about Jesus healing this woman. I love what he said. He called her a daughter of Abraham. He didn't say this woman. He didn't say this old woman. He didn't say this crippled woman. He called her a daughter of Abraham. And that is the greatest name you could call a first century Jewish woman. Those words had to sound like music to her ears. Your words matter. And they will either tear people down or they will build people up. If we're going to help each other grow, we need to build each other up. Look, if you've been coming to Cedar Creek for any length of time, I hope one message you hear clearly week in and week out is that you matter, that you are valuable, that you are loved. But if that message has been encouraging to you, don't you think there might be some people around you who would be encouraged by that message? 
somebody that you work with, somebody that you live with, somebody in your family, your neighborhood? Who is that? Who needs some encouragement? Who needs to be noticed, to be valued, to be touched, and to have kind words spoken? You want to see spiritual growth in the people you care about? You want to see spiritual growth in your family, your kids, your spouse, people you work with, people you're in home group with? You want to see them grow? Then learn how to encourage them. Now look, that doesn't mean that we ignore destructive behaviors. That doesn't mean we stand on the sidelines and cheer for people as they run their lives off a cliff. No, that's not encouragement. That's dangerous. Sometimes the most encouraging thing somebody in your life needs is somebody to love them enough to speak the hard truth and have the hard conversation that protects them from destroying their life. That's why the fourth way we encourage each other is by warning one another. By warning, we have to warn each other of the dangerous consequences of the ungodly choices we're making. I'm talking, of course, about accountability. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I've talked about accountability in almost every message in this series. I've talked about it in three out of the four messages. And the reason I'm doing that is not because I've run out of material. It's because it is an essential part of doing life together. Look at what the Bible says, Hebrews 3.13. It says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Look, if you just want to get together with your home group and all you want to do is enjoy each other's company and have surfacey discussions about the finer points of the theology of the Bible study, if you just want to stay the way you are right now with your group, have at it. But know this, you will not grow. You will be in the same place a year from now that you are right now. If you're not willing to get into the messy reality of doing life together. You know, for a long time, Terry and I had a sign in our living room. You, you've seen these signs before. It says, in this family, we do second choices. In this family, we do grace. We do mistake. Because in this family, we do real. In this family, we do I'm sorry. And we do loud really, really well. In this family, we do hugs. We do loves. Because we want to do family. I want you to understand, for Terry and I, that sign was not a decoration, but a declaration of the kind of family and relationships we want within that family. What I need you to understand is, that's what God desires for his family, the church, that we do real, that we do second chances, that we do grace, that we do messy, that we are willing to love one another enough to get beyond the surface, get real, and in getting real, we can get to the growing that God desires for every one of us. Would you pray with me? God, I, I thank you for the clarity of your word. 
And I thank you for the brilliant design of your church. Of real people doing real life together. Of us linking arms and walking together, stumbling towards being more like Jesus. Oh God, give us the grace, but give us the courage to love each other like that. To do life together so that we can live out the things you created us for. And in doing that, find beyond our circumstances a deep sense of fulfillment and purpose. And in that, find the joy and peace that you promise. It's in your name we pray. Amen.